Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Theology Nara. All right, I've got Mike Cosper on the show today. Mike is the creator and host of the uber popular Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast uh, series. It's going to be a 12-part series. I think he's in episode, I want to say, eight right now. Um, and it's stirred up a lot of discussions, uh, some controversy as well. And so we talk a lot about that, kind of why he created it, what he hopes to get out of it, uh, what he wants the church to learn from the series. And then we uh, he responds to a whole bunch of you know uh, criticism that he's gotten through uh, the creation of the podcast. So this is super raw, super honest conversation. You're really going to enjoy it. All right, I'm here with Mike Cosper, uh, the man of the Christian hour. <laughs> yes. What? What? Um, I, I just I'm almost done with the the most recent episode. I've, I've listened to most all. I've listened to them all, but there's been glitches where I usually listen to podcasts at night, so sometimes I'll, I'll fall asleep. Um, I'll pick it up the next morning. I'm like, oh, I got to go back and finish. But anyway, I've listened to mm-hmm. almost all of it, and uh, I. I really enjoyed it. And then I started Googling mm. around and saw that a lot of other people really enjoyed it too. But man, yeah, it's, it's definitely kicked the hornet's nest. Um, mm-hmm. What, I, I guess we could start by like, what, what led you to do this? Was this something that was like years in the making or do you have, I, I don't even know if you have like a personal connection with mm-hmm. Mars Hill. I know you a lot, obviously know a lot of people on the inside, but did you know Mark or sure? There, yeah. Just what led to creating this, this thing? Yeah, so I, I helped plant a church in 2000 in Louisville uh, called Sojourn, and I served on the staff there for, for about 15 years. And in 2003 or so, like late 03, early 04, we joined Acts 29. Um, That's right. So they'd been up and running for, for quite a few years. Uh, Darren Patrick connected with us um, kind of through the SBC mm-hmm. and recruited us to the network and said, hey, you know, Great partnerships for church planting, all of that. We we knew who Driscoll was. Um, I'd first heard Driscoll at a at a conference back in 2001, a month after 9/11. Wow. This this kind of wild event where he, uh, you know, it, it was it was like early emergent days, and so it's a month after 9/11, and the the coordinators of this conference decided to kind of try and do like a you know, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but kind of like a peace, love and happiness, like let's come together, um, with our, with our Muslim neighbors and, um, yeah. And, and Driscoll was, was having none of it. Uh, so he showed up and screamed at everybody for an hour and, and, and went away and it was left, left an impression. Um, was that, you, you talked about that in mm -hmm. the podcast, right? You have clips from that. That's right. Yeah. When he got in, like some people were pushing back in a session. Right. Oh, right. right. Okay. So you were there. That's right. Yeah. I was, I was in the room and it, it was kind of a legendary thing. You know, I came to find out kind of a legendary thing for a lot of the guys at Mars Hill. Um, because it, it just was sort of like a delineation moment for them with, uh-huh. um, that relationship with a lot of the kind of emergent crew. Okay. So, yeah, so we were reformed, you know, um, had, had a lot of sort of commonality. I mean, the, the missional vision of Acts 29, in those early days was really, it was really theologically driven. There was a lot of talk about Newbegin and, uh-huh. um, you know, uh, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was, a, it was a very different feel than it was maybe five, six years later. 
Okay. Um, so we were really drawn to that and, and were a part of it until 2010. That was around the time of um, like the elephant room and all that that stuff started to happen. And uh, so so as that's going on, we had a clearer vision for you know what we wanted to do with church planting and and made our exit. And um, but you know over those years, got to know a lot of those folks. Met Mark a few times. He was always really kind to me, uh, kind yeah. to my family. And um, but you know, but also heard the stories. You know, heard the yeah. stories from people who worked there about what it was like on the inside. So how long was it when you started to think about doing doing this podcast series? So then a long yeah. time in the making. It, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I got into podcasting in 2016 as sort of what I felt like was an opportunity to do some storytelling that could serve the church. Um, so did a variety of things for a number of years, but I'd say probably pretty early on, maybe 2017, 2018, I started thinking about this story. Wow. Um, not seriously, but just kind of in the back of my head, like this could be a really interesting, you know, really interesting story to tell as a podcast. Um, and in part because in spite of the fact that it got a lot of news coverage, it got a lot of blog coverage, mm -hmm. you you didn't hear a lot from people who were really on the inside, um, who mm -hmm. were leading the organization, trying to lead it through the crisis. You know, the story was often told through like leaked documents, leaked letters, you know, PR statements, which, you know, you know how PR statements are, right? <laughs> it's like everything's kind of kind of fine tuned and, and spun. So. Yeah. Man, it was just an awesome opportunity when I came to CT and and kind of pitched it to the yeah. the folks here. Like, I think we could do this. Um, they gave me a lot of time and a lot of a long leash to to get it done. Did Did you think it would be so popular? No, <laughs> I mean honestly, like, and you, you could yeah. say yes. I mean, I, no, but, no, no. I I mean, we thought it would do well. I mean, in sort yeah. of in the Christian podcast space, you know, I think we expected it to do pretty well because um, it feels like a like a space with a lot of opportunity with a big audience and yeah. not a lot of stuff that's kind of produced at this level. So yeah. we thought it would do well there. Um, you know, at one point on the, like the overall iTunes charts, it was like number three for a few oh days. My gosh. We did not expect anything. I did not expect anything like that. Um, so not just Christian, the overall, cause I know it's been at like topping mm -hmm. out, I think all the Christian charts, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. yeah. Overall it was number three for, for, for a couple of weeks and, um, move over you know, Joe Rogan. Ran... You, you might get Spotify calling you pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we, and what, what, what happened is we just ran into this situation where I think a lot of people heard kind of the way we were telling the story. And these were people who had told us no three, six, nine months before, um, heard what we were doing with the storytelling and said, okay, I think, uh, I think I'm, I'm ready to jump in. Yeah. And just to keep up with the reporting, we had to sort of slow down the release schedule and, because uh, we yeah. we felt like a lot of these voices are really critical to it. Well, yeah, I just yeah. So in your most recent one, you said that, that mm -hmm. you're getting a lot of people now contacting you saying, "Hey, I got I got a mm -hmm. story to tell," and so you're slowing it down a bit. I think that's smart. Um, yeah. Well, what I mean, I, I I I would like to know you know maybe more of the backstory and what does it take to pull this thing off? I mean, it's brilliant. It's beautifully mm -hmm. done. It, it's mm -hmm. it's. Uh, you know, and the popularity of it, and then maybe that's that's some of the criticism we can get into. But at the, I mean, just aesthetically, it's it's like it's like a it's it's just yeah. I'm eager for the next one too. Not not because of failure porn. We'll we'll get into that. But like I, mm -hmm. it's just done so well. So um, yeah. What 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 are some of the uh, criticism um, mm -hmm. that you've had to wrestle? I, like, what are some of the main things that have people have raised criticisms of, maybe not any criticism, but just like, 
Sure. Yeah, I guess we can say criticism. Let's start there. Sure, sure, uh, sure. Yeah, no, I, I don't mind speaking to that. Um, you know, I, it's, it sort of ends up like at the ends, various ends of the ideological spectrum, right? Okay. So I think from, from sort of more progressive Christianity, I think they'd like to hear more progressive voices, um, particularly those who were critical of the church for a long, long time. Um, and we've tried to give some space to that, um, you know, at, at various moments. And Progressive and, voices that were part of the church or? or no, should... that were sort of external critics and, and oh. you know, offered external analysis over time, right? Like okay. other bloggers and other voices, you know, and, and, and on the episode where we talked about kind of women's experience in the church, we tried to sort of make sure we gave some space to that um, okay. and talked about, particularly talked about Rachel Held Evans and, you know, she was... Um, one of the most sort of consistent critics of, of, of Driscoll. Right. Um, but I think, I think from that end, you know, there were other voices, Matthew Paul Turner and, um, and other folks who were doing that for a long time. Um, and then at the other end of the spectrum, I think, you know, that episode in particular, that, that seems to be the episode that kind of stirred up the most dirt, uh, dust. Um, because, we, we really tried to let the episode kind of let the story be what it was and not theologize too much. Okay. Like, here's what women experienced. You know, yeah. here were the voices that, that, that they heard. And so, you know, I live in a – I go to a, a church that's primarily complementarian, you know, and uh, kind of live in that world. And so a lot of my complementarian friends were like, it sounds like you're saying complementarianism is the problem. And I said, no, I mean, that's the context, right? And, and the community that was around Mark was, was that way. Um, I think, I think there are questions to be asked, like, is this in the Overton window and, and why is it in the Overton window for mm -hmm. complementarianism? Um, why were his books endorsed that way? Why was he welcomed into that community? I think those are hard questions that for yeah. some folks we've never gotten good answers for. Um, but, but yeah, that's been a critique, you know, it's been, it's been critiqued as though it were an attack on complementarianism and, um, mm. Um, and, and I think it's more about culture than theology in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. it's more about sort of dominance and, um, yeah, a leadership culture, even like what, what, how are, how are leaders leading to get what they want out of a community? If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And, and I, yeah, I don't, um, to say it's a critique on, con I mean, th there are healthy versions of complementarianism and, and more biblical versions Mm -hmm. full equality in value and gifting and uh, well like i said not, not to get into the women in leadership thing but i mean and then there's very unhealthy versions where it is male dominated um male right. there there is an oppressive air there is a belittling a misogyny that just kind of is there uh, and to, to say that all of that's complementary i think is unfair um mm -hmm. and, and yeah there are a lot of unhealthy versions of complementarianism mm -hmm. out there but to say that complementarianism breeds an unhealthy whatever it's like well let's go <laughs> anything's going to have its better and worse forms of it so I, mm -hmm. I yeah i don't yeah i mean and you can look at other scandals in the evangelical world in the you know in the last number of years um you know whether it's you know the accusations against chris hewitt's who's sort of more in the progressive wing you know, Bill Hybels was like the champion of yeah. egalitarian leadership in the church for, right. for 20 years uh, or, or more. Um, and he was, a, you know, by all accounts, I mean, he's, he's, he has credible accusations of being a sexual predator. Yeah. So, you know, to sort of lump it into like, well, this is a th theological issue. We need to beat that drum harder. I, I just don't think it's, 
accurate to the broader scope of what was going on when, when generally that kind of predatory behavior and that kind of, um, authoritarian culture is more about culture than theology and any theology can be turned into a bludgeon if you want to. To me, if I could sing in listening to the podcast and and knowing some stuff on the inside, it does seem to me the, as I identified the main problem, which you've addressed several times is, is, you know, you got (laughs) to, almost an Enneagram eight, but like a a very, very (laughs) unhealthy Enneagram eight who has probably would be diagnosed with clinical narcissism and a ton of power, you know, you, you wrap all that up in the one, throw in the exhaustion of ministry and, and throw that person on the stage. You get critiques against him and then he's back in the corner and narcissists act, you know, respond a certain way. To me, that really is a, that seems to be the the main kind of thing that sunk the ship. Would you, would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. I mean, cause some of the other, like even, I don't know, like, like, there was a lot of stuff about Mars Hill that looking back, it's like that, it wasn't bad in and of itself. You know, mm-hmm. the challenge, you know, guys to be responsible and show up on time and we're going to lock the doors if you don't show, you know, the mentor <laughs> treat thing. And like some of that's kind of like, well, it's a little bit. Yeah, we should, you know, like, I don't know, there's, there's some goodness in a lot of mm-hmm. this stuff they were doing. I, that's what I preach about the podcast. I think you really brought that out and people were touched mm-hmm. by a lot of things with the ministry, but yet at the center, you had this highly narcissistic person mm-hmm. and that just, that's going to be toxic in so many ways. You know, one of the things I found interesting and, and wasn't really able to go down the road, um, just because of sort of time and space in the podcast. But if you look at a lot of what Mark taught around, um, this whole idea of like extended adolescence and this idea that yeah. adolescence is a very modern invention. It didn't exist a hundred years ago. Um, I always say, like, go read, um, uh, I can't remember the, the exact name of it, but Richard Rohr has a book on, like, the five steps of male initiation, right? Uh. And and his whole thing, like, Rohr, obviously from a very different place, is is looking at manhood in our culture yeah. and saying men don't have a clear sense of transition from, you know, from being a, a boy into being a man. And historically, almost every culture in, in world history did, and they marked it in a significant way and they honored it and they, they made it a meaningful transition. Um, and so in, in a way, like you look at some of these moments with Mark, whether it was that, you know, that, that Saturday morning at the, at the paradox or, you Mm -hmm. know, for some folks, you know, maybe that sermon where he's screaming, you know, how dare you, who do you think you are or whatever, (laughs) You know, they, they, they end up being these kind of milestones in, yeah. in people's lives. And, um, you know, I, I talked to people about that, that Saturday morning in particular where they got the rocks and they went home and some of these guys were like, yeah, I mean, you know, very disillusioned with the church, very, very disillusioned with Mark, but they're like, but you know, I, I've still got the rocks. I mean, it, it yeah. meant something to me, you know, it was, it was yeah. a line in the sand for me. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's, and that's what, that's part of what's so fascinating about the story is these things are just never clean. They're never, yeah. you know, they're never black and white when you're in the midst of them because there's so much community going on yeah. because you didn't experience it alone. Like, yeah, you've got this guy, you might have wounds, but then there were like 10 people around you and those relationships mattered and still matter. And 
that's that's as much the source of the hurt is kind of the lost context as anything else. Hey, friends, I want to invite you to come out to the Theology in the Raw conference next spring, March 31st through April 2nd. It's here in Boise, or you can live stream it. Early bird registration ends on September 30th, okay? So you get a discount if you register before September, well, before October 1st. Uh, if you're coming out to um, attend the conference live here in Boise. All the information is on my website, PrestonSpringfield.com. Again, if you are planning on coming out, you definitely want to take, take advantage of the early bird registration, which is about to end. What, okay, I want to talk about that, the failure porn article. Um, I read mm-hmm. it. And I thought that was, it was, it raised some good points. And I love the fact that you even retweeted it and you, you were like, yeah, this is, this is good. And it, he wasn't even, this is, um, Liam, is it Liam Thatcher? Liam Thatcher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and basically, if I could summarize it, you, could, you can clarify or jump in or correct, just that um, the concern is that the byproduct of this, not, not the intention, I love that he pointed that out, like, I don't think this is intended to do this, but there is this failure porn kind of uh, thing going on at a church where, where we're, all, we're getting off, quite literally, you know, on, on seeing yet another powerful leader fall. We hate the, you know, mm-hmm. speaking truth to power and see this is what happened. And it's almost like we're, mm-hmm. we're, we almost enjoy it, like kind of like can't stop looking at the car wreck, you know, um, <clears throat> how do you, how have you thought through that? And what are your thoughts on, on that? Do you think there's some valid concern there? Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think there's valid concern. Um, er, you know, early in the process, I, I interviewed somebody and, um, uh, who was, who was deeply involved at Mars Hill and she really surprised me with this comment cause she told her story and it was, it was really heartbreaking and, and then at the end of the conversation, she says, listen, I, I just want to encourage you on one thing. I want to encourage you to be sure that um, you try try not to focus the story around people who don't love Mark. Huh. Um, and that that really, really surprised me because um, I just it just wasn't a question that had like, like sort of gotten into my my framing yet. And this, this was maybe a year ago. Um, but, you know, her point was. Uh, this, this community was such a, such a rich experience for people and Mark, you know, Mark did great harm and Mark did great good. And if you, mm-hmm. if we just tell stories from people who are, uh, who, who come in without that context for what was good about the church and what was rich about the church, you just, you miss the story. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think when I think about the kind of the failure porn line of thinking. I mean, there's a lot of podcasts out right now that are, there's like two right now about, uh, uh Jerry Falwell Jr. Oh, um, yeah. gangster capital has one and then wondery has one and, uh, you know, they're, they're produced with excellence. They're, they're well done and all of that. Um, but they're not, they're not making those podcasts trying to serve the church, you know, trying to, right. trying to help the church. And, you know, this is a 12 episode series. We have a lot of story left to go. There's been a lot of ups and downs and everything. My hope is that for the people who stick with us to the end, we're able to to kind of land in a place where people go like, oh, here's a vision for a better and more beautiful church, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, you know, if, if we miss the mark on that, then that's, that's mm-hmm. how it's a failure. Um, and, and that'll be sad for us. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's where I think the failure porn critique really comes in. Um, are we, are we in it because we love the church or are we in it because yeah. we love the, the car wreck? And, and that's something like, like, it's not the intent, like if somebody struggles with failure porn, then that's not really on you. I guess somebody could say, well, mm-hmm. you're, you're, 
creating something that's going to further that addiction or whatever, but it's like change the channel. Like it's, it, they're responsible to mm-hmm. not like a porn, you know, and mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the analogy does break down. Cause it's like, you're not yeah, actually creating yeah. Yeah, yeah. the, the porn, you know, that is whatever. But I, yeah, I, I, uh, it sounds like your main, your main motivation and tell me if, if I'm on the mark here is that we can just learn from these mistakes and even maybe I, I, help people who are in a similar situation because what's going on there you know there's a lot of narcissistic unhealthy enneagram eight pastors out there i keep, i don't want to rip on enneagram. <laughs> right, right. and they can be in a church of 50 or 500 or 5,000. like it's not just a mega church thing mm-hmm. it's not just a uh you know um mark driscoll thing um yeah. So yeah so what what is your ultimate if you can like summarize your ultimate goal in which you would want people to take away listening to the whole series, what, what would that be? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there, we're, we're very intentional in the fact that the, the podcast is called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill mm-hmm. um, and not The Rise and Fall of Mark Driscoll. Um, okay. Because, you know, and again, like you can't tell the Mars Hill story without telling Mark's story. We talk a lot about Mark and we will continue to. But what makes this story unique is that, you know, you know, there's a lot of fallen pastors, but not every fallen pastor and, and not many fallen pastor stories end in the collapse of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Mark resigns in the middle of October, January 1st, there is no Mars Hill anymore. And and that says a lot. Um, my, my sense is that a lot of what we see inside Mars Hill is kind of a loud, amplified version of what's going on in a lot of churches. Ah. And, and part of that's due to just the fact that Mark... Um, you know, was sort of unapologetic about what he did and why he did it. And he just said things loudly um, that would that would more often be said sort of quietly or behind closed doors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so my I guess I'm eager for um, i'm I'm eager for the church to kind of hear this story and understand that bigger dynamic, mm. the the collapse of the church, the loss of the context of community. Um, and, and to ask questions about why they're, why we're here, why are we gathered? What are we in it for? For pastors in particular, I mean, yeah, it's funny. I was just, I was just with a group of like a really large group of pastors last night, some of whom pastors of pretty big churches. And somebody asked me this exact question. And the phrase that came to mind, um, this will probably make its way into the podcast was just, I, I want us all to remember our death, right? Hmm. Um, we're, we're going to die what are we going to leave in our wake? Hmm. Um, and you know, it was very clear to me that, you know, you look at the Mars Hill story, the church collapsed because Mark resigned. Would the church have been able to sustain Mark getting run over by a bus? Um, Hmm. because it was so built around him. Um, and then we need to ask similar questions about our own communities. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I think all the time it was like a kind of a catchphrase for us when I was when I was in ministry at the church. There was this old, um, you know, this old sort of motto for Moravian missionaries. They would say, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. Hmm. Um, is there a way for that to drive our ministry? And, and if that was the philosophy of ministry, how much would that change the way we think about media, platform, yeah. legacy, all that kind of stuff? Do you see that as a growing problem in evangelicalism or is that actually being addressed, the fact that like the ch- church is being built around a personality. Um, do you think that's increasing or mm. decreasing? 
I mean, I think I, in in one sense, I think it's been with the church from the very beginning, right? Like yeah. the whole, you know, Paul addressing in the epistles, like, you yeah. know, this one says, I follow Paul, this one says, I follow Apollos, all that kind of stuff. So the the desire to attach ourselves to a to a person is always a temptation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it goes back to, to the kings, right? Like <laughs> God like tries to make it really clear, like you don't want a king, you want prophets, I promise, you know, you're not going to like this. And um, um so yeah, I, I mean, I think that's I think there's just something innate in us. We want someone who we can look at and and kind of identify with. Um, I think what heightens it for us is that, you know, we live in a secular age. Um, people have sort of a a simmering spiritual anxiety as a result of that. And so if you show up to church and you're like, I'm not real sure about like the God thing. I'm not real sure if like when I hear people talk about hearing from the Lord or experiencing God, I'm mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I can trust my own experience and my own instincts with that. And then a charismatic guy gets up on stage and he goes, well, I've heard from God and God yeah. said this, and he has this grand plan for your life. Yeah. Um, it's way easier in that circumstance to kind of give our agency over. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And I, and so I think that's what is sort of unique about our time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I felt that in um, I was part of Francis Chan's church for a bit, and he he's like the counter opposite of a mark. Like he mm-hmm. he would tell people, you know, go somewhere else, like leave. Like like he tried so hard not to make it about himself. He's just, mm-hmm. just but very similarly such a charismatic figure that um, I could feel it. Like you're just there, and when he's on stage sharing about his faith walk, mm-hmm. he just it's it's so easy to live vicariously through him, you know, and feel like you mm-hmm. are part of his spirituality by listening to him, you know? Um, no, I don't, I don't right. know how to get around that. I mean, would he tell the guy mm-hmm. not to speak because he's kind of like the failure porn, like he's doing something really good, but he's also the byproduct can be an unhealthy attachment to a leader. Mm-hmm. And he actually did. I mean, that's, that's well, one of the reasons why he kind of said, I'm done with the megachurch. Sure. I'm going to do a house church thing, you know? <laughs> sure. Well, well, I would say, I mean, I, I think the responsibility in that case like there's an element of responsibility that that Christians need to sort of take on for themselves. Like I'm not going to project mm-hmm. this on a you know I'm not going to project my spiritual hopes onto another person. I'm gonna I'm gonna seek the Lord. I'm gonna seek Him out in His Word and all this. Um, but I think the you know the responsibility on pastors and and this is one of the things in the Mars Hill story that I sort of knew was there, but it has surprised me how black and white it is in the story, which is how often Mark makes himself the hero of yeah. the, the stories he tells, um, the heroes of his sermons, the hero of the, the Mars Hill narrative, you know, and then the Mars Hill narrative shifts over the years and people get written out of it. And, yeah. you know, it becomes increasingly over time more and more about him to where, mm-hmm. you know, by 2010, there's like a, you know, there's like a dozen people that you'll never hear their names that were really critical to the, the, the story of that church. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think the more that that pastors and church leaders can uh, think about this, the narrative they're creating around their ministry and their churches mm-hmm. and tell it in such a way that they're not the hero, mm-hmm. that they're humbled through those events, that they can they can share these moments of recognition of grace and, and the need for grace. Um, I, I think that's really yeah. I think that's really critical. Hey, friends, hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. And if you are enjoying this conversation and others like it, would you consider supporting the Theology in the Raw ministry by going to patreon.com forward slash theology in the raw? You can support the show 
for as little as five bucks a month and get access to lots of different kinds of premium content like monthly Patreon-only podcasts and blogs and Q&A sessions. Again, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Nara or all the info is in the show notes. Okay, I got a few comments here from that Twitter thread, I, which I, you know, I did <laughs> oh, not boy. expect that because I wasn't even really that aware that this was like a controversial thing. I was expecting a, a bunch of like, War, like five or six responses, you know, like, oh, what was it like putting together a podcast? I think we did have that one. But so anyway, I, I deleted most of the stupid ones. Um, <laughs> there's one here I kept. I'm like, should I read this just to exp- – nah, Yeah, man, bring it on. Go, let's not. go for it. Um, this one was interesting. I, I went to John MacArthur's seminary in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this question, why how, – how come there was no interaction with John MacArthur and his team who consistently mm-hmm. warned about this – um. Yeah, I I got yeah. some thoughts, but yeah, I would love to hear yours on that. <laughs> sure. Well, again, like you know, part of part of what I've I've been saying kind of all along in this process is that it's a church of fifteen thousand people, fifteen years or eighteen years. Um, you know, all these different associations, all these different you know relationships, all these yeah. different critics and everything. You know, it would just be impossible to sort right. of give give voice to all of them. I think, for one thing, the story's not over yet. We have like we have some elements of the story yet to tell, um, and and we'll get into a couple more of those kind of intersections. Um, but but one of the things we're going to talk about actually next week on the podcast um, is the way negative polarization worked to actually strengthen Mark inside the church, and hmm. and what what I mean by that is that. Um, you might be really frustrated with Mark, right? You might be really frustrated. And, and let's take it out of Marcel for a second. You might be really frustrated with your pastor because you've had some bad meetings and you've seen some things go really, really sideways. Mm-hmm. But if you then open up, you know, um, you know, open up your email and there's like an email blast or somebody's started a blog or something and they're just coming at your church and they're coming at your pastor and, and all of this, the natural human reaction is to kind of retreat to your tribe mm-hmm. and, you know, go, well, this, this guy might be a jerk, but he's my jerk. So yeah. like you, you can't talk about my jerk that way, you know? <laughs> um, and I, I think there was, so I think there's an interesting dynamic around that. And, um, and, and I would say as well, I think I, I, I look at some of it and, you know, frankly, I would include the most recent, uh, you know, the recent episode of the MacArthur podcast where they deal with some of this stuff. Huh. I don't know that the polemic around this stuff has, was constructive. I don't think yeah. it, I don't think it, it moved the needle in a, in a constructive way for people that weren't convinced in the first place. And I, I don't, and I don't, I don't, I mean, even though I was in the MacArthur environment, when, when, mm-hmm. when Mark was really taking off for me, the critiques, as I recall, were more like, you know, he wears biker boots when he preaches and not a suit and tie <laughs> and he's charismatic and he mm-hmm. cusses, although maybe I'm, we're not sure if that's actually true. Well, no, um, his, it was more his edginess. It was like, and I think also for mm-hmm. some conservative circles, when somebody is actually like reformed theologically, or they're actually pretty conservative theologically, but they're doing things that feel more progressive, that conservatives don't know how to handle that typically. It's kind of like, no, this is how you do conservative evangelicalism, not that, you know. Um, so, yeah. so I, I don't, I don't remember. I don't personally remember the critique of, you know. Mm-hmm he's this guy's kind of narcissistic and demeaning towards women. I never heard a MacArthur mm-hmm. follower say, yeah, I think he's a little too harsh yeah. on women or, you know, like, well, there, there was a really, I, I mean, there was a, 
he MacArthur definitely deserves credit when the when the Song of Solomon sermon first kind of came out. Um, MacArthur oh, yeah. wrote a blog post and just eviscerated it, and mm. and well well done. Like it it needed to be done, and and again, like it's you know we we did say in that episode. I mean, Colin Hansen talked about it. Like mm. MacArthur was right about mm. Mark um, in ways that a lot of other people got wrong. Um, and, and so, and that's the other thing about this that always kind of gets me. I'm like, I think at least three episodes now we've acknowledged MacArthur was right. And, and oh, I don't know what else to do except to go like, yeah, MacArthur was right. Like we, okay. we, we see it like, but, but I, I do think, I mean, again, like I just, what interests me about the story is not necessarily how much was the commentary there because there was a ton of it. What interests me is what moved the needle and in which way did it move the needle? And was there constructive criticism that actually moved the needle and changed right. things and, and where wasn't there? Yeah. And I'm just not sure that the pyromaniacs and kind of all that effort that went into that, all that heat in the yeah. in the rhetoric really moved the needle at all. Yeah. Here's another one. And th- this one, I I it's public. It's on Twitter. Um, and I know nothing about this since it's public. I'm, I, I no problem reading it, but if you're like, dude, I don't want to get into that. That's really fine. Mm-hmm. Um, cause well, two people said I'm friends with a so a former sojourn elder who claims that sojourn, the church she used to pastor began mm-hmm. to exhibit similar leadership problems to Mars Hill. Um, would love to hear your thoughts on this matter. And somebody else says I used to work at sojourn and yes, this is an issue. So do you want to speak into that at all or? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, we spoke, I, you know, I spoke to it some on the first, on the first episode, but yeah, I mean, we were, um, there's a, there's a lot in ministry you look back on and go, man, I wish there were some things I could take back. Some things I said, some things I wish I could do differently over the years. Um, and you know, when I left in the years since I left ministry and, in, in, uh, local church ministry in 2015, I've tried to sort of go back and, and look for like, are there people, are there things I would do different? Are there mm-hmm. people that maybe have residual wounds that I need to, to try to make things right with? And hey, if any of y'all are listening, like email me, my, my DMs are open. I want to hear from you. you know, I want to mm-hmm. have those conversations. Um, but what I think, you know, what I think a lot of that refers to is, you know, we had uh, the, the main reason I left the ministry was that probably starting around 2010, our leadership culture got really toxic. Hmm. We had kind of a revolving door um, around our executive team and revolving door around, you know, uh, around our lead pastor in particular. And um, it created a lot of conflict. I mean, it was just a very, Hmm. again, by 2015, it was a very hard place to work. And I had worked really hard to try and sort of, you know, uh, try to make it as healthy as I could and left. And then in 2017, uh, that pastor was put on leave and and ultimately resigned as a result of that. So is this somebody named somebody said uh, the long a decade long enablement enablement of Daniel Montgomery Montgomery abuse is that what, I don't again I would never yeah, da- I, <laughs> sure yeah no Daniel was the lead pastor at the okay. time and and look I I haven't named him I'm not you know flaming him on right, you know no. social media or anything like that I just that's not what the podcast is about. It's not my story. It's not, you know, it's, it's about this church, but yeah, I mean, that was the, that was the story. And, um, you know, and and he, you know, he was, when, when charges were brought against him by an elder, he was investigated. He was, uh, put on leave. He was asked to go through a reconciliation process. And at the end of that, he resigned. So, okay. Yeah. I don't, you know, it's, yeah. Uh, I, I can get more in the weeds to it, but I just don't know no, how constructive I, it is to really get into the the weeds. But I, th- I think the concern the there is like, or or the 
possible accusation. They're not quite saying mm-hmm. this, but it's kind of like, hey, you were complicit too. And some, but it sounds like the exact opposite that you saw maybe subtler signs mm-hmm. of similar things and said, I, I this is not what I want to be a part of. Um, I, there, I don't have, well, I don't want to be, I, let me just be, be clear. Like, I don't want to be too dismissive of that. I mean, I think mm-hmm. there are, you know, when you're in that culture, and this is something that you see in, in Mars Hill, when you're in a culture where there's unhealth and there's unhealthy leaders, you're constantly doing a calculus. And, and we're trying to highlight this in the story. You're constantly doing a calculus going, here are the ways the ministry's thriving. Here are the problems. You know, do I think by my efforts, I can help right the ship and move things in a good direction? And, you know, what one person I interviewed for Mars Hill said this, um, you know, a few months back. And, and it just stuck with me because this was my experience. You often walked through ministry going, man, I feel like I'm one good conversation away from being able to get our, our leadership into a really healthy place, a really healthy culture. And, you know, and then one day you wake up and go, I felt like I was one conversation away for four or five years now. Like maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe I'm fooling myself at this point. And that's when you make the transition. Right. I also wonder too, I mean, I know, so kind of related to the failure of porn, like people really, there is almost an enjoyment to see celebrity sneakers and preachers, church leaders who kind of come off as narcissistic to see them fall. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, but I, <laughs> I don't know if the, church has a corner market on unhealthy leadership and the abuse of power. Mm-hmm. Hashtag me too. Hashtag right. look at the world around us everywhere. You know, it's like, right. right. And, and that's not, well, and that's, yeah. Well, and that's what, you know, that's where some of the conversation around this that I think gets kind of sidetracked in the theological argument is, is missing the point. Again, it's not to say there isn't bad theology that causes problems. I totally believe there is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I believe it's an issue the church is dealing with and needs to deal with. But, you know, the answer isn't like, okay, well, we'll just, we just need to all become sort of modern, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, embrace sort of modern, you know, self-expressionism. And, and that's, that's going to make everything okay. Yeah. <laughs> is there anyone who embodied that more than um, – uh, oh gosh, what's his name? The, uh, the Hollywood producer, um, you oh, know, as um, lefty as, as lefty as anybody could be Harvey. Um, yeah. Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein. Yeah. Um, yeah. just an, just, you know, <laughs> a, a hardcore leftist activist who yeah. was an absolute monster, yeah. an absolute monster. Yeah. Um, so again, I, I think when we, when we lose sight of the fact that, that often these abuses are more about power than they are about ideology, mm. Um, we set ourselves up partly, we set ourselves up for failure because we think, well, it's not going to happen to me mm-hmm. because I believe the right things. Right. No, that's good. That's good. Here's another one. Uh, I really just want to hear a response to the criticism from Mars Hill victims and his deleted statement about people who have spoken out are <laughs> quote, punching down on evangelical subculture. I don't even know what that means. Do you know what that means? Or? Yes. I know exactly what this story is. Okay. So a <laughs> couple things I can tell this, I can <laughs> Man, you're going right for the right for the tweets. I, I'm just quoting what people have said. Man. You're good, man. You're good. No, I'm I'm happy to actually give an explanation for this. Um, so April twelfth, um, uh, April twelfth, the New York Times did a story about Abraham Piper. Um, they did a profile of him. This is John Piper's son. Um, he's like a TikTok star, and he gets on TikTok every day. And he basically, you know, he basically gets on TikTok every day, and like throws elbows at 
you know, the evangelical subculture and that he grew up with. Right. And it's, wow. they're funny. They're clever. He's a really funny guy, like all credit due and all that. Um, but it also kind of reads like, if you know the background, it also kind of reads like, dude, this guy got 3 million followers going online and making fun of his dad every day. Oh, you know, um, this was six weeks after my dad died. Um, that's part of the background in this. So I saw that it irritated me. Um, it definitely got under my skin. Mm. Um, and, and I also just saw it as like, you know, in the context of so much of this conversation around deconstruction, you're always sort of hearing these words like, you just need to, you just need to evolve. You know, you just need to move beyond these kind of primitive things. So when I see, when I saw that story and I, and I read it and, you know, it was a, it was a good piece of journalism by Ruth Graham. It was well-written and all of that. But when I saw it, I, I just kind of thought, man, like, I don't understand. I don't understand why we would look at this as an evolution. Right. Mm. Um, and, and so to me, you know, to me, it is punching down like cultural power works all kinds of ways. People yeah. want to say evangelicals have all the cultural power. Well, it depends on where you stand, right? Like yeah. if you're inside evangelicalism, if you're inside conservative circles, evangelicals hold a lot of power. If you're in Hollywood, if you're in the academy, if you're in various aspects of the marketplace, evangelicals have no power and influence whatsoever. Yeah. So power is always relative. Power is always like where are you trying to leverage power? And if you're trying to leverage power and influence in the media, you're way more likely to be able to do it being a progressive Christian going on there or a progressive ex-Christian going on there and making fun of your very, very conservative, famous dad. Mm. So that was what the whole thing was about. I said nothing about abuse victims, absolutely nothing about abuse victims that's been pulled out of context and thrown around. And, you know, there, there's some critics of the podcast that are like, yeah, my, you know, Mike was making fun of abuse victims or whatever. Go read the tweet. I mean, they've posted it so many times. It's out yeah. there. And then, and then, you know, the whole deleted tweets thing. I delete all my tweets. Um, really? There's this phenomenon. Like, yeah. Like, there's this thing called context collapse that, that people have written about. That, like, this is a perfect example of it. So if you'd read that tweet on April 12th and known that that story had dropped that day, because it was a New York Times, like, trending story and it was going all over Twitter, it would have been obvious what I was subtweeting. Lesson is never subtweet, but it would have been obvious to most people that I was subtweeting. But obviously, like now, you know, however many months later, somebody comes across that and there's no context for it yeah, anymore. Yeah. So what I'm talking about, it becomes easy to pull it out and go, okay. you know, oh, this jerk, like, why does he, why is he making fun of victims? There's nothing in there about victims. I was, uh, I was tweeting about one person and uh, I was irritated because I, it just, it just struck me as distasteful to yeah. build a platform making fun of your father. I think this might be the first time somebody was misunderstood and misrepresented on Twitter. Usually, yeah, it's a, I think it's so. a brilliant forum for uh, charitable communication. So it's really shocking so. to hear. Wow, that's a roomy for tales. Oh, here's so, yeah, another so one. Go, that, um, if you go look at my Twitter feed, they all delete at like 60 days. I don't have anything on there older than 60 days because that's an odd. That's a setting you could put on there. Mm -hmm. You have to like set up a thing like it. You have to do like a one time delete. But I read an article in I think it was in Inc or something like quite a while back where huh. where they were basically saying, go delete all your tweets right now. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because I'm a Twitter junkie. And yeah. I, well, I was until the podcast. I don't post anymore now that the podcast is out. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I've, I've really uh, I do go on Twitter and post sometimes. Typically, I go through Hootsuite where I can post mm -hmm. something and I don't, it's just, it posts and I don't see, I don't have to sit there and look at, com I mean, I rarely 
read and almost never respond um, to comments. It's just not, it's, it's, I mean, I made a policy like two or three years ago. I don't know if people know that. <laughs> people out there listening, like sometimes you ask me a question on Twitter, I'll see, I, I just, I don't, so it, they might say, hey, thanks for your book. And I'll say, hey, thanks for reading or something like that. But mm-hmm. in terms of like engaging and, and constructive when there's like disagreeing kind of issues, mm-hmm. ha- it's just, it's, ne- it's 99% of the time not productive. So I just stopped. Hello, friends. I wanted to let you know about an opportunity to engage the conversation about faith, sexuality, and gender. On October 20th through 21st, here in Boise, Idaho, we're going to be having a conference on faith, sexuality, and gender. On the evening of the 20th, we're going to have a a two-and-a-half-hour introduction for those of you who just need to get your arms around the topic. And the next day, October 21st, we're going to have an all-day conference where we're going to dig into a lot of aspects of this really important conversation. You can join us live here in Boise or you can stream it online. And uh, I would highly encourage you to come out if you can make it, but I know that can be expensive or just not possible. So um, please consider joining us at least uh, through the live stream option on October 20th or October 21st. All the info is on the website, centerforfaith.com forward slash events. That's centerforfaith.com forward slash events. Well, here's one that I remember seeing. I, I don't have it written down here, but I thought it was interesting I don't, I don't know what I personally think about it, but um, it was kind of a cornering question. Something like, uh, how do you ex- – <laughs> wait, <laughs> do you know what I'm going to say? <laughs> it was something like, uh, how do you explain the fact that Christianity Today, who you work for, was complicit in creating this celebrity culture surrounding Mark Driscoll or something like that? Have you, have you come across that mm-hmm. kind of criticism? And Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's an interesting criticism. I think, you know – my my only pushback to it would be, I mean, for one thing, like one of the ways Christianity Today is trying to account for the way that they um, contributed to the celebrity culture is they've created a podcast in which they're revisiting the entire story and how it happened and, you know, invested in trying to go, why why do these things happen? And um, <laughs> so there's actually a pretty significant investment by CT trying trying to answer that exact question. Yeah. Um, and we've acknowledged it. You know, I mean, it's, it, it was it was part of the... I want to say it was the second or third episode um, where Colin Hansen, who wrote that profile, um, you know, came on the show and talked about writing the profile yeah. and why and and things he would have done differently, you know, in hindsight. Um, so, you know, I, I we've we've attempted to kind of address it directly, and I think we're attempting to direct, address it indirectly. I don't know how it's, you get around. That. I mean, Christianity <clears throat> Today is by definition Christian journalism, mm-hmm. so you have to, you, right? I mean, so to, to be a journalist mm-hmm. when there's high profile visible things happening you right. address them talk about them you know and and you mm-hmm. can say well it's bias against or bias for whatever and that's but that's just also part of journalism right i mean it's right. Never I'm, truly every, every journalist has a perspective well ted olson said something great on on the episode that that we did about josh harris yeah he said um he said you know i hate the word platforming because it doesn't like it implies things that just aren't really true yeah. like just because you talk about someone or talk to someone yeah. doesn't necessarily mean you're holding them up and going, hey, we should all do this, yeah. right? Um, part of the job of of journalists is to is to be storytellers and to to uh-huh. talk about like what is happening right now. Um, and Driscoll was a phenomenon. I mean, Driscoll had a right. had a massive influence. He had a massive influence, or, or I shouldn't say massive. He started having an influence on the North American Church a year after he planted in 1996. Wow. Um, 
that's problematic. I, I mean, I think that's significantly problematic. Like, why on earth are we taking a guy who did two years of, of sort of residential ministry at a at a mega church and then is a year into planting another church and putting him in front of church leaders and saying, this is how you get it done. Y'all listen to this 27 year old. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's a whole other conversation. Like I, I, I just think you're going to run into these things where when you tell news stories, yeah. um, you know, we're, what are we supposed to do? Like spend a month vetting every story we tell every profile that we tell, like it, it's just difficult. Yeah. And so what you do is, is you tell the stories as you see them and you explore them as honestly and clearly as you can. And then when the facts on the ground change or, or get clarified in other directions, you try to, to tell them in other directions. CT published a whole lot of stories starting in 2012 about things that were going wrong at Marcel. Really? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you said that. I, I, I have received more criticism in the last year. I mean, last year. I live in criticism, but the, the, but specifically the platforming thing, and it kind of drives me crazy. Well, not drives me crazy. It's it just like I just say, like I just flat out don't even agree with the concern that underlies this accusation of platforming. Right. Like I want right. to engage a wide array of ideas. Um, yep. If I don't, they still exist um, to do. And I like to do it publicly. You can change a channel if you don't allow. Because mm-hmm. so I, I release a podcast on Monday and Thursday. Mm-hmm. I always get messages the following day on each one. Hey, really liked your podcast. I really like your podcast, but I did. I think I don't think you should have platformed that person. Then the mm-hmm. next Thursday, it's some something different. Next, you know, so, so it's like no matter who it is, there's gonna be somebody that didn't like that person, but they liked everybody else. Well, guess what? The person you like, somebody else didn't like me. You know, and it's like I just right. I think there's something in the air in the last year, two years, where it's like. Mm-hmm. I think it's the polarization creating echo chambers and safety. And now yep. there's such a narrow view of this. If there's an idea I don't agree with, I don't want anybody else to kind of like mention, like just make it go away. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that's healthy at all. Um, right. I'm not going to have David Duke on the platform, the, my podcast. <laughs> I'm just not interested in that conversation. I'm not going to have, right. um, uh, oh God, I don't know. Who's the opposite of him? I, uh, Fred Phelps, or you know, like I, but I'm, yeah, I've got a broad range of different type of. I might have a pod, somebody on the podcast I talked to one day, and then have somebody else, and they may completely share opposite views. And it's like that's right. those views exist. Um, if I think they're interesting and thoughtful, I might completely right. disagree with them. But change the channel. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, do we live in civil society or not? Right. Yeah. Um, because if we do, we ought to be able to talk. To our neighbors and try to and, and try to approach with curiosity. Like, why do you think what you think? Why, you know, why do you believe the way you believe? How can I, how can I be, you know, as a believer, like, how can I be a better neighbor and and love right. you better? And part of it is just trying to understand people's stories. So mm-hmm. we we listen and we ask and and all of that. But yeah, I, no, I think the negative polarization is a good description for it. I think um, tribalism is another you know good description for it. You know, we, we just want to hear from people who confirm our biases. Yeah. And that gets to the an even deeper cultural issue, which is we just don't want to have to think. Yeah. You know, we don't yeah, we don't want to deal yeah. with people whose ideas make us uncomfortable yeah. um, because we, we just don't want to have to think about them. Right. Right. Here's a here's a, a really good question from the Twitter thread. I think um, how can we do a better job in America and our churches to build non toxic leadership? I mean that that is kind of one of the goals, right? That this would serve as a resource to help us avoid mm-hmm. 
another situation like this happening. Do you, do you have ideas on that? I mean, you've been in a church mm-hmm. and now li- living in Mars mm-hmm. Hill <laughs> from a distance for a while now. Right. And, uh, right. Yeah. yeah I, I would just say like, what are, what are the metrics for success? Um, I think that that becomes a really, really critical issue. Ger- Gerardo Marty has been on the podcast a number of times and, and there's a, there's a clip that I think will show up later. Um, so it's, Spoiler alert. But one of the things he talks about is he said, you know, the, the phenomenon of like the church growth movement is that um, the, the church's understanding of itself is about momentum. It's about expansion and it's about rapid expansion. And um, when, when that movement and when that expansion stalls or stops, uh, what you end up discovering is that the structure itself is pretty brittle. Um, because you haven't built anything underneath. So so when expansion and momentum and growth become the metric by which everything else gets measured, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that, you know, for some unique ways. Um, I think we ought to we ought to look at like what does uh, a, what does an approach to ministry that that's generational look like? Mm-hmm. What would a traditioning process look like for, you know, for leaders? Um, denominations came to exist for a reason. Um, mm. and, and I'm not saying we all need to like, you know, abandon non-denominationalism though. Uh, there are plenty of people who'd make that argument and probably make it well, but <clears throat> in the absence of them, um, Mars Hill is a great example of this. I mean, there was research that I saw recently that basically showed that the, by and large, the only churches in the country that are growing are non-denominational megachurches. What's what's the traditioning process? What's the mentoring process hmm. whereby leaders in those organizations are being prepared for the next thing? Um, is there a concern for character? Is there a, a structure for mm-hmm. characterological development along with like, here's how you get numbers. Mm-hmm. Here's how you excite a crowd. Um, I just don't think we have the metrics to measure yeah. it. And so what, we're measuring what we can, which is, you know, butts and seats. I just, I mean, going back to kind of that, that certain personality too, like you take, and I, I, I appreciate you wanting to center this, not just on Mark, but on Mars Hill as a whole, but I mean, you take a personality like Mark and what I mean by like the personality where, um, doesn't receive criticism well, um, Mm -hmm. creates a quote unquote team that kind of bunch of yes men. And if you're not that you're kind of pushed out. Or if there is conflict, mm-hmm. you kind of take your ball and go home. And, you know, that I, I just I, here's what I'm thinking. I don't want to say it because it probably isn't going to come out wrong. But like, should that person be a pastor, you know, or, mm-hmm. or if that person is called to, to ministry, how can that kind of personality genuinely build a team? And, and, and you know, that, that, that episode where that, where that woman said, that was really disturbing. I mean, when she said his secretary, whatever, this is, I think episode two or three, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. there was one thing she would suggest, like maybe Mark should have some older, wiser people around him that would, you know, not be afraid to push back. And she got called up on heresy mm-hmm. charges like that. That's disturbing. But that but that that mm-hmm. might be a, a more dramatic response. Right. But that kind of response on a subtle level, I'm sure is very common with somebody who, again, a very black and white kind of leader. And if you don't agree with me, mm-hmm. you're, you're a problem, you know, and, and I just, should that person even be a pastor? Should we screen that ahead of time? Or if they if that kind of personality is called, like, how can we build genuine team around him where he's not going to mm-hmm. get away with that, you know, or I don't know. Yeah, <clears throat> no, it's a great question. I, I guess I would say, um, 
One of the things I think you see in, in, in Mark, like, first of all, I a hundred percent agree with you. The, the example, um, that's Karen Schaefer's story. And what happened to Karen, I think is one of those examples of like something happening big at Mars Hill that happens in a small scale in lots of places. And we got a ton of emails from people saying this happened to me. This exact thing happened to me at Mars Hill or just Um, other churches. Other churches, churches all over the country, Um, uh, all kinds of churches, different, you know, different traditions, denominations, the whole nine yards. Um, And so what, you know, one of the things I think that exists in, in all of this, like, like another, another metric, I, I guess I would say for, for a leader that's qualified is do they have at any point in their history um, can we point to an example where they were under someone else's authority and they submitted to that authority and in submitting to that authority, they did things they didn't want to do, yeah. right? Um, it's one thing to submit to an authority that you agree with. It's a totally different thing to submit to authorities you don't agree with. And, you know, the military trains you in that. A lot of mm-hmm. ministry processes train you in that. A lot of educational processes train you in that. Um, but it's not hard in ministry if you're sort of charismatic and successful to, to sort of, you know, find these paths to, mm-hmm. to leadership where, where that's never tested. Um, and so then when you end up in a place like, like Mark did where the accountability structures are pre- pretty flat and there's not, really, there's not really people, you know, with any yeah. authority over him, um, even the suggestion of it put him in a place where he was pretty yeah. reactive. What was the most, if I can say, the most, dis- I mean, that s- story was pretty disturbing. Do you have one that stands out that you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened? <laughs> um. Oh man. Um, well, the podcast ain't, ain't over yet, so there's more to come. <laughs> but no, I, you know, again, I, I don't even necessarily want to focus on that. Yeah. Like, I, I don't mean to, to sound dismissive. I no, mean, it's a bad, it's kind of a gossipy question. You know, I, I don't, Yeah, and I, I don't mean, mean that, that that was my intention. It's just... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I, 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 here's, here's my motivation is I, I think as I hear these stories, there could, it could very easily become gossipy or failure porn or rip, mm-hmm. you know, I, it, on a positive level though, it could also be very healing. I think for other people that say, Oh my gosh, that happened to me and I'm not alone. Or you gave voice to something I went through, or I went through that and didn't tell anybody. I'm so glad that these stories are being told uh, as a source of mm-hmm. almost healing for people who have been this kind of, through kind of just spiritual abuse. And I can't imagine that story. I mean, being brought up on heresy mm-hmm. charges because she said something that was hundred percent accurate in a really gracious way. Like that's just, mm-hmm. that, 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 that can destroy someone's faith if they go with, I mean, I'm glad she, mm-hmm. it didn't for her, but that, I mean, I think we do need to tell those stories, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, totally agree. Yeah. I, I think, I guess I would say the thing that, that I find like most disturbing in the story um, and again, not just about the Mars Hill guys, but, um, uh, but it's something you see reflected in a lot of churches and church leadership culture, um, including what I came out of is that things happen, things happen behind closed doors mm-hmm. and people go, that's not right, mm-hmm. but I'm going to just keep going because I know that what happens next Sunday is, is, is more important. Mm-hmm. Um, and you make that calculus, you know, every time you make that calculus, it gets easier to do it the next time. Do you so. think our, even, our, even our church structure, like our ecclesiology, very Sunday, very growth-oriented, um, mm-hmm. very Sunday-centric, very much kind of preaching-focused, and all these things are good things. 
Mm-hmm. But that does those are those can very easily, especially in American celebrity culture as a whole, create. It's almost like we're we're paving the way for, especially if somebody struggles with narcissism or something or or whatever mm-hmm. or power abuse to to where it's almost like we're setting them up for failure. This is where some of the more liturgical churches or Eastern churches just don't have. They have other issues, I'm sure, but they don't have this mm-hmm. kind of problem. They're just not set up that way. Right. Um, I don't know. Well, <clears throat> I, I guess I'd say like you know, it, when it comes to the abuse piece, right? Like that always comes back to power. And so you can look at the Catholic Church, and it's like yeah. it almost doesn't matter who your priest is; they're yeah. going to rotate different priests out all the time. Um, uh, you're there for the sacrament, and and that's why you keep showing up. But Power has a way of expressing itself, and it has a way of doing a whole lot of damage in a structure like that. The thing about sort of the evangelical world is because people aren't showing up for the sacrament Mm. and because I think we have often demeaned not just the sacrament but like the worship, Mm -hmm. even the experience of community. Mm -hmm. Um, um, And what what we've done is we've elevated the pulpit to this place where it's like the sermon is the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, I, I think that sets people up to go, well, well, the guy with the Bible, that's the most important thing. That's the reason that I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I once, I once heard Jamie Smith um, talking about this and, and he said, um, he said, you know, evangelicals wonder why they have a, a celebrity pastor problem. And then you go to almost any evangelical church and it's 20 minutes of music to get you hyped up uh, for a lecture, for a 45-minute lecture from the smartest guy in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the model for a lot of churches. And, and so there's something formative about, mm-hmm. about that, um, that, that sort of week in, week in, out, year in, year out. Mm-hmm. That's, what we, that's what we experience when we gather at the church. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd love to see an embrace of more liturgical practice. I'd love to see the church saying, we're not just here for the, the sermon. We're here yeah. to, to hear the scriptures read, to pray right. together, to, you know, to have a broad practice that's really about us as a community sharing yeah. an experience together yeah. more than, you know, putting one guy up there and yeah. letting him talk for an hour. And I, I don't think it's sustainable in, in a post-internet, post-9-11, post-Trump-ish <laughs> The, the world we live in now, like, I just, I just think that, and we've seen it through COVID, right? I mean, a lot of people aren't coming back to church because they're like, I didn't, my life kind of went on and, and I, I, this whole church experience, this church routine that I didn't have for a year, um, I, I don't know if I need that back. I can get a sermon elsewhere. I can listen to Christian music. I, I think this sense of belonging, which I think deep down is, is really the deepest Mm-hmm. need for people. I think they know it. They feel it. I think COVID, they feel it even more. And I feel like if churches can't cultivate that as kind of the centerpiece, almost like the table is the centerpiece of what the rhythm of what we do, everything else is kind of um, fostering that, that sense of belonging. I, I I think churches, whether the big or small, obviously bigger churches will probably have a, more hurdles or hop over. But if we don't cultivate that, I just, I think more than ever, we need that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I just think charismatic leaders, whether they're worship leaders or, um, cause I mean, that's a whole nother dynamic that you could get into of kind of the celebrity culture around worship leaders. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, uh, we have a way of sort of attaching to them so that we get vicarious religious experience through yeah. them. Um, and it, it satisfies something in us that, 
yeah, it's a yeah. it's a deep it's a deep need. It's a deep there's a wound there. I think that mm. that modernity has has done to us. And you know, I love air conditioning. I love antibiotics. Like thank God for modernity in that sense. But <laughs> um, but it's not the answer to everything. And it's it's left it's left some big open yeah. questions for us. And I think they're reflected in some of the ways that the church is trying to sort of twist itself into knots to compensate for yeah. it. Well, Mike, uh, thanks so much for your work on the podcast. It really is. I mean, it's, it's, it's so well done. Um, how many hours a week do you, is this like a full-time thing? I mean, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I don't want to talk about the hours. Yeah. It's, it's oh been, my a, God. It's <laughs> been a summer. <laughs> that was one of the questions, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll let you yeah. go. Thanks so much yeah. for, yeah, your honesty and, and humility. Um, and, uh, I'm looking forward to the next few episodes, man. Thanks. Well, actually, I guess I'm not supposed to say that. I'm not looking for. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm deeply curious and intrigued about the next few episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you give us Can you give us an overview of where you're going for the rest of the time, or is that would you rather not? Um, I I guess I'll just say like a lot of what we a lot of what we've done here in the middle has been about sort of exploring different thematic issues in the church uh, that kind of span the history. and then we'll sort of pick up the chronology in the last few years in these last few episodes. So okay, cool. That's where we're going from here. Awesome. All right, man. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Appreciate it. Absolutely.